The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. And we're back here on Analyze This. I'm going to give some more details with respect to where you could get the books. Uh, uh, the culinary traditions of St. Croix. Um, but after that, after the, after I give the uh, program and notes um, for Tuesday, uh, February twenty seventh on Channel Twelve tonight, right? Uh, PBS News Hour, right? Uh, that's from seven to eight, and then from eight to nine, Pullman and the Railroad Rebellion. Explore the Railroad Rebellion as workers fought for their independence, right? And then we got the um, <clears throat> we got a Muhammad Ali, uh, another documentary again for the Great One, right? And it said, uh, follow along as Cassius Clay, right, publicly joins the Nation of Islam and takes the name Muhammad Ali. Yo, it really got God in the midst for sure. Here I was mentioning Muhammad Ali being here and his connection with Queen Louise home, right? And I didn't know that it was two nights of documentaries with Muhammad Ali, so we know that, right? And that one will run from 9 to 11, right? Last night, it was from 9 to 11.30. And then at 11 o'clock tonight, Truth Tellers explore the life of artist Robert Shutterly and his over 250 portraits in, entitled Americans Who Tell the Truth. Okay, and that's from 10 to midnight. And then, you know, at midnight, I'm important company, which normally is 11 o'clock. But time turned back in November. Right, they're going to turn forward uh, in another, uh, let me see, what would that be? Another 13 days. No, another 12 days. Another 12 days, right? On March the 10th, time turning back, you know? March 10th is a very great day, you know what I mean? That's the reason why I know about that. It's a season. So, the PBS News Hour at 7, Pullman and the Railroad Rebellion at at 8, Muhammad Ali, <clears throat> documentary from 9-11, True Tellers at 11, and I'm a point complete. You know, I didn't really tell the whole story as told to me by my father, you know? And I'm going to tell it now as it relates to that Muhammad Ali thing, right? <clears throat> Here's, here is Doc James telling Neville, right? Telling his son what happened. He said, Neville, um, Cassius Clay fought an exhibition fight. Well, in, in, in local language, right? We, we got this exhibition fight up there by Kanegata Ball Park, right? And Jimmy Ellis, he fighting Jimmy Ellis. Jimmy Ellis is... Uh, also from Louisville, Kentucky. He said, me and Valmy Thomas, right, organize this whole thing. And Neville, I never see so much money in my life. And we there in the room counting the money. So I figure he probably talking about, not the dugout, but the offices. If you know Kanegada Ballpark, the big field, he got some offices underneath. And he said, the nation of Islam come through the door and say, in so many words, Okay, we'll take that. And that's when Muhammad Ali said, no. He got the Queen Louise home <coughs> down there for the children them. Give the children them, give that money to the Queen Louise home. You know, this is 87, 88. Maybe even, even, maybe even the summer before my senior year in 86. And like, that's when we start really, you know, jiving, right? And uh, that moved me, you know, because I was a big Muhammad Ali fan growing up. Right? Uh, Muhammad Ali, you know, he was just, 
you know, he had charisma and all that stuff. Just great athlete. And he used to brag about being good looking. And you were either for Muhammad Ali or for Joe Frazier. Now, as I got older, right, I had a greater appreciation for Joe Frazier. And then when we saw the movie with Will Smith, right, uh, with Ali uh, and all that stuff, you come to realize that, uh, uh, you know, they had taken everything from um, uh, Muhammad Ali. And he literally needed Joe Frazier. Because he and Joe Frazier were, they used to call that a payday when they were fighting. And the last fight they had was in Manila in oppressive heat. And Joe Frazier um, toweled through in the corner and said, done. And, and interestingly enough, right, even though Muhammad Ali won the fight, right, that third fight against Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali said, that one was the closest to death that I've ever experienced. And that was because, you know, uh, he, uh, you know, they're fighting a crazy heat, 15 rounds and all that stuff. So, you know, just a little reminiscing there, you know, the sports in me, I apologize, but it's amazing how everything is cyclical, you know, so so that was awesome. By the way, um, I got a text message <coughs> uh, with, with a very good question um, from um, uh, Muchi Shang, right? And uh, Muchi said, where can we get the book? And fortunately, uh, we I got that question uh, while... Uh, she was here, right? Of course, you know, you could order it on Amazon. But on St. Croix, you could get the book at three locations, right? Undercover, right? That's in Christianstead, the St. George Village Botanical Garden, and the Caribbean Museum Center for the Arts, down in the West, right? Center for the Arts, right? You know, I say arts talk in the local twang, right? It's the Caribbean Museum Center for the Arts. So, uh, like I said, Culinary Traditions of St. Croix, A Brief History of Island Lifestyles, Nina York, I didn't really get to ask her about, um, you know, as I, uh, uh, I know, uh, a cruise and, and her take on St. Thomas and St. John, but we'll do that again because she's coming back. But, I mean, that's a nice book. Got some nice photos here. Got a governor, governor map in here. She talked about seizure farms, and she, she can speak about, uh, she, even one, one quick paragraph uh, before I go to my next guest. We can truly boast of our numerous restaurants to, to fit every palate, even to the point of one Christian state establishment being a preference of our President Joe Biden and his family during the January 2023 vacation in St. Croix. I believe they're talking about Savant. Got the governor like, I mean, the president like to hang out up there uh, and all that stuff. He got a picture of a Senapole cattle, right? Uh, since she says Senapole cattle beef <clears throat> has a good reputation. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so that's it. So, uh, Miss New York, thank you very much for joining us. Do we have our uh, second guest on the line yet? Uh, they haven't uh, called in uh, as yet. We're supposed to uh, be talking uh, with um, Hollander, uh, <clears throat> with Lakeisha Edwards, uh, and hopefully she'll be calling in uh, in, a, in a little bit, right? I uh, just got another text message. Um, see, one of my partner. Uh, Don went to Amazon already, and he sent me the link, right? He sent me the link, and the guy here, yeah, man, right, just so. I got, I got an actual hard copy in my hand, and I'm watching the cover of the book, and we sell food, you know what I'm saying? So this, so this is, this, yo, we're very fortunate to be living in this technological era, you know what I'm saying? So uh, it's, it's all good. I had reached out, right? to um, Commissioner Wells Hedrington to find out what's the deal with the schools because, you know, we're dealing with some rain. And she tried to call me, but it looks like she couldn't hear me. 
So I guess I don't know if that's the liberty issues that we've been dealing with. You know what I'm saying? But I wanted to know if there's anything they wanted us to announce. Um, because um, yesterday, uh, when that rain uh, started to pelt, that's the term I use, everything started to pelt down uh, during the middle of the day, um, I think they sent um, uh, children home uh, from some of the schools. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Uncle Eddie. Uh, Eddie Bruce said, wonderful review. I will buy the book. You know, that's the reason why it's easy to get up all in the morning for me, you know. Like, like I don't, like, I, you know, I ain't a real morning person, but for the gig, I could do it. That interview there, that interview, I mean, all the interviews here on WTJX are great. But that particular interview, right, <clears throat> is classic NPR. Seriously. NPR is really a history station and current events and all that stuff. That interview there, right? Right? That one there. You know, that was that was nice. And it actually was touching for me uh, because we're talking about somebody who adopted the Virgin Isles and St. Croix. And, and to hear her say, there's nowhere else I would rather want to live. I mean, yeah. I could start bawling right now listening to that type of thing. You know what I mean? Because it really speaks to how beautiful <clears throat> the Virgin Islands are, is, you know. Clearly, and I'm from St. Croix. And, you know, I'm going to be biased towards St. Croix. But it's really a Virgin Islands thing. You know what I'm saying? You know, I, I know that we got our natural Hatfield and McCoy feud with St. Thomas. Right? Not St. John, no. It's like for some reason, St. John ain't a part. It's a St. Thomas St. Croix thing, right? <laughs> I think I'm having fun with that one. But seriously, man, to hear a, a young lady, 86 years young, born in Denmark, right? Had to move to Sweden because the German them were looking for her father. Okay? Went back to Denmark. I was a Fulbright scholar. Okay? Google that. You know what I hear about Fulbright Scholar? They had a horse named Fulbright Scholar. That's how I first know about Fulbright Scholar, okay? He, he realized until later years when I look it up. You know how to be a Fulbright Scholar. You ain't up here, up here. Okay? <laughs> you ain't up here, up here, Fulbright Scholar, okay? <clears throat> Went to Missouri, Montana State. Went back to Denmark. And yo... <laughs> I got a joke for you. When, when we asked her, so how you end up in this spot? She said, well, I got a man. And and, and Glenroy, Glenroy said, oh, straight and smoke, right? I laugh, but, but I like, yo, that's the deal? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That, that was the deal, right? She said, I got a man. And uh, uh, moved to Connecticut, right? And then Puerto Rico. And then, of course, you know, you know, I'm glad that she mentioned that refinery there because <clears throat> a lot of people, you know, they get caught up in, well, we just bring in um, crude and we manufacturing it into gasoline and a commercial uh, commodity and finished product. They got so many other jobs, so many other businesses, right, as a result of opening that refinery. Her husband... Was a boatman. He's fixing boat and and and, and that uh, electrical gig, right? The electrical engineering gig, uh, working on ships and all that stuff. There's money to be made, man. You know what I'm saying that's how we got to promote education. 
uh, economics, uh, all that uh, good stuff, create work uh, for our people, you know, and uh, you need that then, man. Seriously. You know, we, that's what we need to, you know, I, I know I spoke with um, uh, Director Adrian williams Acklin, and she spoke, uh, when she first came on in 2020, she spoke of our need for a lot of engineers as it relates to recovery. And that's the thing then, man, we need to, you know, we need to continue to encourage everyone and anyone and everyone um, about the, 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 the benefits of, of, of education. Knowledge is king, queen, prince, princess, everything, man. We need that. Huh? So she said Edward York, and I'm reading from the Source article. And by the way, you know I'm a big fan of the Source, right? Because I reference them a lot. Uh, Edward York, <coughs> right, uh, was an electrical engineer and owned a marine and land electronic business, which brought the couple to Puerto Rico, where they lived for 13 years. Because the need for his services, on, because of the need for his services on Saint Croix, they moved to the Virgin Islands. Nina worked in the Virgin Islands at creating and producing children's seals. They were called the Virgin Islands Children's Seals Fund Inc. They were issued to help educational projects in cultural fields to benefit the children of the U.S. Virgin Islands. She also began conducting island tours, primarily for visiting Danes. In 1987, the tours were canceled in 2020 due to COVID-19 pandemic, she said. York was hired in 1990, shortly after Hugo, Hurricane Hugo, as the editor of St. Croix This Week, a position she held for 13 years. When, when Susan Wah became editor of the magazine, it was her idea for York to illustrate through her writings and knowledge of the Danish era from 1733 to 1917, right? 84, 184 years. York began these writings in 2009. York said it was also Wild's idea in 2019 for York to publish her columns in a book. York said that the writings, quote, reflected my fascination with our history and the broad scope of influence from the Danish legacy that prevails even today. Now, during the uh, during that discussion, right, I kept asking myself, should I ask her the question? Or um, should I set up another interview? You know, the first interview, right, with someone, uh, if you know you want them back, right, you know, I got to hold back some of the questions. You check what I'm saying? I learned that, you know, uh, uh, <clears throat> in the game. Because one of the questions I want to ask her about, somewhat controversial, is reparations, right? And what's her take on that, right? I didn't want to put her on the spot. She didn't come today, you know what I mean? So, I, so there was a feeling out, you know, getting to know her, her history and all that stuff. But that reparations is a, a issue is a big one. Shelley Moorhead is to be commended because he made it, you know, a big issue. You know, check. Um, <clears throat> um, because it's real. It needs to happen. You know what I'm saying? And it ain't just the day in them neither. America owes us billions of dollars pursuant to uh, the U.S. Code, right? That Internal Revenue Matching Fund, that dollar for dollar. They owe us billions of dollars for, for um, you know, gasoline products, petroleum products manufactured here in the territory and sold into the U.S. market from 1966 to 2012. 46 years. 
and we want what is ours. That's our money, right? And I and I pull up the article. I always reference the article. I don't know if I could find it real quick. Uh, maybe I look for it during the break, where Peter Abbott made a forward statement. You know uh, about um, we need to get into a settlement. We don't want to uh, create another Kuwait. I mean, come on now. You know that's that's racist. There's no other way to put it. I mean, maybe he, maybe he's not a racist, but sometimes people make racist statements. You know what I'm saying? And, and when he meant another Kuwait, clearly he meant, you know, a jurisdiction of colored people with a lot of money. Because that's what Kuwait is, along with the other Emirates. You know, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, the list goes on and on, right? But that's our money. You gave us back as much as 98% of what we manufactured for rum. Uh, what would my, what, yeah, from, from rump, um, uh, products sold into the U.S. market, anywhere from 80 at the floor to 98 at the ceiling percent, right? From 1050 to 1325 out of 1350. You give us back that with the same principle, the same premise manufactured in the Virgin Islands, sold into the U.S. market. Right? The same thing was supposed to apply. And we had a judge rule in our favor with that. You know, I get passionate with this one. Because we want our money. Cut the check. It was good for 400 million. 12 years in. In 1978. They had another 34 years after that. At a higher tax rate. And greater volume. There was a time, you know, I read a New York Times article on this show. Where... They were good for 600,000 barrels a day. You do the math. And they weren't at that capacity level between 66 and 78. We want our money. It's ours. Your check. America, I love you to death. I enjoy going there. But when it comes to that day, give me where it's mines. Or like they say in St. Thomas, or walls. We'll take a break. Be back right, right after this. I go calm down. St. Croix provides in-person service, personal and business checking accounts, a nonprofit community investment checking account, a 24-hour banking cash management platform, online banking, and mobile apps for banking on the go. There are two locations to serve you, the Bank of St. Croix in Gallows Bay and Bank of St. Croix in Peter's Rest. The Bank of St. Croix has something for everyone. Need details about our nonprofit community investment checking account? Our service specialists are here to help. Bank of St. Croix, member FDIC. you need a moment to just step back, relax, and listen to your favorite song. I'm Raina Duris, and on the next World Cafe, maybe I can help you find something new to love or maybe remind you of something you've been missing. There's so much music out there to enjoy. So take a moment, take a breath, and tune in to World Cafe. Weekdays at 10 p.m. on WTJX FM 93.1. So I spent the past year trying to figure out what news designed for 21st century humans might look like. 
One of the things that really stuck with me was that we now know that humans actually need hope to get up in the morning. And I don't think as a journalist, I ever thought about it that way. We're always looking for new and better ways to understand the world we live in. That's On Point with me, Meghna Chakrabarty. Weekdays at 1 p.m. on WTJX FM 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. Planes, a growing part of the climate emergency. Aviation is going to become one of the top polluters if we don't act right now. But could electric power change the equation? Electric motors are within that edge of possible. New technology. Flying taxis or cars. Could decide who wins. We are doing something to change the world. The great electric airplane race. On Nova. Tune in March 6th at 11 p.m. on WTJX-TV Channel 12. back here uh, and analyze this and I want to <clears throat> just um, continue to dovetail and, and what I just talking about right with respect to um, and this just you know coming out of you know what is owed to us and, and why we, we could be better at what we are um, th- there's a Washington Post article October 11th 1978 and it said 400 million ordered repaid to Virgin Islands, right? <clears throat> and they say uh, a U.S. district court judge ordered the federal government yesterday to repay $400 million in custom duties and excise taxes to the Virgin Islands, an amount that is twice the annual budget of the Caribbean territory. <laughs> That's... That's the that's that to me that's the premise and the foundation for why Peter Ebert then working for Randy Lugo, right, made such a forward statement. Right? Because if it's more than twice, that means our budget was less than two hundred million dollars back in nineteen seventy eight. As a matter of fact, it goes on to say in paragraph two, it was the second straight day Judge Oliver Gash had ordered the federal treasury to make a large reimbursement of excise taxes. Tuesday, right, <clears throat> he ruled Puerto Rico was entitled to more than $105 million in federal gasoline excise taxes the U.S. had collected the past four years, right? So if we were good for $400 million after 12 years, and Puerto Rico was good, right, for 105 million, right, over four years, right. You divide that four into twelve. Four into twelve, you get three. So multiply that three times 105. Puerto Rico, right, prorated, right, was good for 315. We were generating more, and smaller Saint Croix, as it relates to excise taxes than the monstrous island of Puerto Rico was as relates to gasoline, right? It said in yesterday's decision, <clears throat> which must have been Wednesday, October 12th, 
right? Somebody check and see if October 12th, 1978 was a Wednesday for me. Pull up the Wednesday calendar. Pull up the 1978 calendar and see if October 12th was a Wednesday, right? Because this ruling clearly had to have been on a... This, this article was a Thursday article because they said Tuesday, right? As related to the Puerto Rico. In yesterday's decision, Gash ruled the three U.S. Virgin Islands, St. Thomas, St. Croix, and St. John were entitled to $250 million in excise taxes the federal government has, has collected on gasoline refined on the islands and shipped to the mainland the past 12 years. In addition, GASH ordered the federal government to repay another $150 million to the island government in custom duties on petroleum products that have been shipped from the Virgin Islands to the U.S. U.S. attorneys contended the Virgin Islands were entitled to keep only those custom duties on goods imported into the islands, an argument Gash rejected. Quote, It would be surprising if Congress intended that only the insubstantial amount of duties collected on imports into the Virgin Islands be sent to the Virgin Islands Treasury, Gash said in his opinion. In addition to ordering the reimbursements, Gash said future excise taxes on gasoline refined in the Virgin Islands and shipped to the United States and custom duties on petroleum products should be turned over to the Virgin Islands. The excise tax amounts to between $50 million and $60 million a year and the custom duties about $25 million. Now, you and I know that when the refinery doubled and tripled its production, what this number would have looked like. And it went on for donkey years, another 34 years after 78 to 2012. Back to the article. The Virgin Islands government has been negotiating its claim for the money with the Justice Department, according to Peter Ebert, legislative assistant for Randy Lugo. But Ebert said the Justice Department opposed settling the dispute because it felt the federal government had a strong case in court. Ebert said Gash's ruling in favor of the Virgin Islands would strengthen our hand in seeking a negotiated settlement. Ebert said whatever amount the islands eventually get could be used to help solve the problems caused by the tripling over the past 18 years of the Virgin Islands population to 105,000. I don't hear me every, every time, right? Ever so often talk about, you know, when I go on, uh, on uh, World Population, the, 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 the population uh, website, how we went from 33 to 99, in this case, we actually went from 35 uh, to 105. That's what you're talking about, right? They got more money, right? And there was an article, um, there's a lady, her name is Monroe, right? Um, and I had found a Google article, you check, where um, <clears throat> um, uh, she was actually based in D.C., right? And she would write for the Daily News, and uh, and I think it was news from Washington, and and there was that article where 
Uh, I saw that quote. You know what I'm saying? But I'm serious. You know, they got a lot of money for us. And we, we want our cash. Right? And this is real money. You know, and Ronnie and I and, and Doc Skoll and Rocky and I, we spoke of this. Because all three of them at some point when they were senators, you know, and outside the legislature, you know, have, you know, made arguments for that money. And Ronnie said, you know, uh, one thing Ronnie said, we are a frontline community, right? Which is a terminology for um, areas that are next to the refinery. The environmental impact alone, right, uh, is justifiable for us getting that money, Right? Joey just texted me. He said they are still charging custom duties to this day. I'm telling you, man. We want our money now. Uh, the case, right? So this thing went went to court. Uh, and we lost. And I think it was, uh, the name of the case was Blumenthal versus, um, Blumenthal versus the Virgin Islands or versus the U.S. Treasury. Blumenthal v. Uh, Treasury, and and one of the um, folks who, who um, yeah, Virgin Islands v. Michael Blumenthal, I got it right here, right, and and one of the um, <clears throat> I just pulled it up here, right, and this was a 1981 Virgin Islands versus W. Michael Blumenthal, Secretary for the Department of Treasury, and this is Reagan time now in 81, right, uh, because 78. Uh, was Carter, right? And uh, it went to the uh, um, <clears throat> U.S. Court of Appeals, right? And then uh, uh, it was argued, and then um, cert was denied at the Supreme Court. Maybe this is something me and Dwayne Henry uh, could talk about, right? And they said, for the Department of Justice, right? Um, Ernest J. Brown, um M. Carr Ferguson, David English, Carmack, uh, all of them were working for uh, as assistant uh, attorney generals and all that stuff, right? Uh, they were on the brief for the Secretary uh, of Treasury as appellant. Hey, uh, uh, Glenroy, I want to show you a text message uh, when you come in here, right? And, um, and arguing on behalf of uh, of um, the 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 the, uh, the Virgin Islands, you're gonna appreciate uh, a couple of these names. Okay, uh, I just showing this text message here, so um, so we could deal with the issue here. Milton Eisenberg from Washington D.C., right, with whom Theodore C. Hurt and Ive Arlington Swan, Charlotte Mali. VI were on brief for the Virgin Islands as a Pelly, right? Because so they were appealing, right? Because the district court, you know, had a rule in our favor. And um, the, we, we, we got uh, overturned uh, at the, at the uh, circuit level, right? But that name, I have Arlington Swan, he's one of our um, Supreme Court justices right now, right? 43 years later, or close to 43, you know what I'm saying? But another name that was a part of this was Scalia. 
um, Supreme Court Justice Scalia, he was working in the Reagan administration at the time, you know, and they they ruled on, on Judge Vern Hodge. You know, we won the case. That's why uh, Judge Gash had ruled in our favor, you know, and then they appealed it, right? We lost the appeal, right, at the U.S. Uh, Court of Appeals, the D.C. Circuit, the same circuit where uh, uh, um, former President Trump um, recently got his immunity claim denied. Uh, that's what they refer to it as the D.C. Circuit, right? Every other circuit that go based on a number, but for D.C., they said the D.C. Circuit. And, uh, yeah, man, so, you know, they got money now. The, the, pre- the governor, the current governor, had written an article, had written a letter, I'm sorry, uh, to the Interior Department, you know, asking them, uh, you know, or letting them know that you know, at the time, this was in, like, 2000 or thereabouts, um, that uh, we were looking to restart the refinery and we want to clarify you know, what the deal is because your yeah, I owe us this money and if we come back in it again, we want our money, right? Um, and um, and I learned one of those um, Latin terms. In that letter, uh, the governor had stated the principles of res judicata, right? You know, means that they don't argue already and, and we're not going back there. You know, let me actually pull it up here now to give the formal definition. Res judicata meaning a matter that has been adjudicated by a competent court and may not be pursued further by the same parties, right? Well, I disagree. You know, you know, you know. That money's ours, man. And, you know, in talking, I had a conversation with Governor Louis, and he had um, uh, stated that, you know, they knew what they were doing. That money was ours. We want our money. You know, the great Wang Louis passed away in 2011. You know, and, uh, these are the things we're dealing with. You know, and I know there are those who believe that, um, you know, um, as a government, you know, we, we've been negligent, you know, what have you, and we might have blow that money anyway. So be it. It's ours. Right? And at any time you get that kind of bulk money, you know, down here could be gold-plated. I tell you now, we got some infrastructure issues that we need to address here on the Big Island, right? In particular, in that, that the middle of the island, right, which is prime farmland, right? When you construct roads over there, right, those roads need a special type of care, Right? beyond regular because those roads buckle right and then when they go bad I mean I drove from Friesenburg to Frangipani right that's all Havland that's all Kings Hill area and all that stuff and 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 you know right now those roads are in bad shape and part of the reason why they're in bad shape isn't because of just lack of care, but it's actually because of the foundation. You know, you know, you know, dropping infrastructure and farmland base ain't easy. You know that Casper Holstein Road um, that we named there from Castle Burke that works its way around the Armory and all that stuff. That road buckles ever so often, man. Can't withstand the load. I mean, all just about negligence. 
um, with, with, with who's supposed to manage it, it's because of the nature of this office. That's farmland. You know, Jack. So, you know, these are the things that, you know, the attention to detail that I hope that we could, um, you know, take to the next level. You check, but with all due respect, they got money for us and we want our money. Right? And uh, they know it too. Because they'll give us back anywhere from 80 to 98% of that $13.50 per proof gallon for rum that is manufactured here in the territory and sold into the U.S. market. Now, we don't go import, right? Uh, some of the, the, you know, the products necessary, right? The molasses subsidy and all that stuff, right? I think we get that from Guatemala. Right? I ain't sure. Marvin Pickering, if you're listening, uh, educate me on that one. Send me a text message, but I believe, excuse me, commissioner, uh, commission chairman for the um, Casino Control Commission, uh, Marvin Pickering, if you're listening, text me. But I believe Guatemala is where, you know, we are. Uh, they get that from for that, that molasses subsidy. For those of you who don't know, Marvin Pickering was the CFO uh, at Cruz and Rum for a lot of years. He knows the industry inside out, so that's why I would lean on him, my mentor, uh, in that regard. You know what I'm saying? But <clears throat> we've been treated unfairly, you know, and I'm glad Miss York. Came into, oh, here's what I want to mention. I going to get Harold Willocks on in his capacity as an author. I know he's a judge and he's been nominated to be a Supreme Court justice and all that stuff. And judges don't really make appearances and all that stuff, right? But in his capacity as an author, the Unbiblical Code, Massacre in Paradise, books of that nature. He's written some more books and all that. I going to try to get him on because... You know, uh, VI Black History Month coming up, and you know, talking with Miss York uh, this morning has uh, spurred spurred me into you know uh, doing that type of thing because this is the epitome of national public radio. We'll take a break. Be back right after this. Hopefully, I get the commissioner on. gets more complex and changes through the day, you need more than just a quick headline check. Here and Now keeps you connected to your world between Morning Edition and All Things Considered as the news and the people shaping it are changing in real time. I'm Robin Young. Follow along on Here and Now, NPR News weekday afternoons. From 2 to 4 on WTJX-FM, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. Hi, I'm Peter Sagal. You spent the week listening to the news. Don't you think you deserve to show off what you've learned on Wait, Wait, We Give You a Chance to Impress Your Friends with Your Knowledge of International Incidents, Political Gaffes, and the Latest Advancement in German Nudists? You'll be the life of the party or the death. Either way, you'll make an impression and you can thank Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. Saturdays at 1 p.m. and Sundays at 2 p.m. right here on WTJX FM 93.1, your NPR station 
in the Virgin Islands. He said that black smoke was constantly coming out of the burn pits 24-7. And my reaction to it was like, wow, that doesn't sound very safe. wonder what that's about. And in my mind, I couldn't imagine at the time that type of system operating could potentially harm our service members. Journalism that seeks and reveals. That's On Point with me, Meghna Chakrabarty. Weekdays at 1 p.m. on WTJX FM 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. How do we know words? How do we accumulate words? Writer Edna O'Brien. Are they there in us before we know them? She follows a quest many writers can understand. As if these words were the generators of some kind of magic. Authors, artists, sports, news, and maybe even some magic. Every Saturday on Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition, Saturdays at 8 a.m. on WTJX FM 93.1. We're back here analyze this. We got a caller. The caller wanted to know why did we lose the case, right? Um, well, we actually won the case at the district court level. We lost it on appeal, right? Now, um, in reading the ruling, right, um, the the argument, right, was made that the there was some ambiguity, right? Because I had this conversation with Carl Knight. Right in terms of interpretation, right, and according uh, to to the, the 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 feds, right, right, the treasury, they were saying that um, there was an administrative, right, application there, and and in effect they were pretty much saying that you know us getting back that money wasn't wasn't in the deal, right, but I think we've proven, right. The law did not make an exception for petroleum products. The law was about what is manufactured locally and sold into the U.S. market pursuant to the Internal Revenue Matching Fund, right? A dollar for dollar. We were supposed to get that back. The reality is, right, and I'm going to be very candid, it was a racist decision. They didn't believe that we should have benefited from that amount of money, right? Now, I'm going to read the language here. Real quickly, and we're supposed to get uh, Commissioner Deanne Wells-Hedrickton uh, joining us if she's available uh, within the next 15 minutes, right? They say, in our view, administrative interpretation and practice is controlling here for three reasons. First, the custom duties cover provision of the 1954 Act. Uh, okay, I want to make sure I, 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 I say that correctly, right? Remember now, it's a, it's a cover over, right? So they say the custom duties cover provision of the 1954 act was taken from a bill proposed by the interior department which which was vested by the 1936 act and by executive order with substantial supervisory responsibility over the islands for those of you who don't know the first de facto constitution we had was in 1936 right that was the organic act of 1936 because remember we were bought in 17 then they realize, well, look, now we go put, make sure we've got language in place so they could have a government, all that stuff. We were under naval rule, right? Then they revised it in 1954, 
in 36, we had a municipal council. All this, all this time, right? Uh, governors were appointed by uh, the president, right? And then, of course, you know, in 1970, we had the ability to vote for our own governor, right? But back then, we had a municipal council, 36 to 54. Then we had a, a legislature with 11 members, right? And then, of course, with population growth, that increased to 15. And that's the number we at now. So they're referencing 54 and 36 here, right? Uh, uh, so they said, right, <clears throat> custom duties cover provision of the 1954 Act was taken from a bill proposed by the Interior Department, which was vested by the 1936 Act and by executive order with substantial supervisory responsibility over the islands and whose own secretary, this is Interior, right, 13, la 13 years later had registered with the Justice Department an official objection to the continuing failure to cover mainland duties. Second, the applicable language as drafted and as enacted is substantially similar to that of the 1936 Act in effect when the Interior Department made its objections in 1944. And although the Interior Department's draft and the 1954 Act expressly address a different aspect of Interior's 1941 objections, which dealt with cover of internal revenue taxes, which is the, the, um, the matching fund, right? <clears throat> Nothing in the proposed or enacted statute indicates a comparable intention to depart from settled administrative practice concerning the cover of custom duties. Third, nothing in the legislative history suggests that Congress meant to change the practice that prevailed as a result of consistent administrative interpretation of the earlier acts, right? All of that, you know, all that legalese might be well and good, but I ask one simple question. If you were covering over, rebating back to the Virgin Islands since 1954, 80 to 98% of the taxes paid on rum manufactured in the Virgin Islands, specifically St. Croix, the collateral for the Virgin Islands. That's what St. Croix was, right? St. Thomas is the liquid. St. Croix is the collateral right then why aren't you doing the same for everything else you you your your actions right and your argument your historical actions and your argument in 1981 the logic don't agree according to Ronnie Russell you know what i'm saying we go to guatemala you say Guatemala now, we got to buy X amount of molasses because we don't manufacture rum here in St. Croix, right? We buy that raw material, a raw commodity, bring it to the Virgin Islands. We make Crucian rum, the best rum there is. In particular, we make bulk rum as well, right? We ship it to Brother Cat, Brother Kansi, Brother Jan, everybody on the mainland. Right? We ship 10 million proof gallons. Right? All the people in Hobai, their combined payment to the U.S. government, to Uncle Sam, is $135 million. Right? 
you cover over, rebate back to the people, 80% of that. Let's use the floor number, right? That's the 105 minus 27. I mean, 135 minus 27, $108 million. You cut the check and you send it to the trustee in New York. And then they do what they got to do. Right? If that number was 98%, then we look at 131 thereabouts. Million dollars. Right? Why? Because we manufactured it here, manufactured it here in the Virgin Islands and shipped it to American purchasers. The same thing happened with rum that was manufactured at the Hess oil refinery, Hovick, Hovensa, whatever name you had, from 1966 to 2012. We got the raw crude from wherever, right? South America, Venezuela, from Nigeria, from the, the um, Scott Fields up in the North Sea, or Everfields, whatever it was. Brought it to the Virgin Islands, manufactured it, and, and, and turned it over, take that raw crude and make gasoline and all those petroleum projects, and then we sell it into the U.S. market. Whatever, 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 whatever the value may be. Whomever bought it had to pay taxes to Uncle Sam. The U.S. Code said if they're paying taxes for products that was manufactured in the Virgin Islands. It could have been Water Island, St. Thomas, St. John. It just happened to be St. Croix. Then that money needs to be covered over back, dollar for dollar, to the people of the Virgin Islands. But the reality is, and I try not to go here, but I'm going to be very candid this morning. People of the Virgin Islands are people of color, predominantly people of color. And you want to get us what belongs to us. That's why Peter Ebert, Peter Ebert, and I'm going to find an article because I, I had emailed it to Positive Nelson and some other senators as well back in 2013 when I was out because I had research, researched it. They didn't want to create another Kuwait. That's what it said. You want our money, man? You know? Yes, we have been negligent in certain areas, have mismanaged, what have you. I ain't denying, I ain't saying we perfect. We far from it. But I'm glad, Ms. Nina, you're coming here today, this morning to talk history and give me a chance to get my soapbox a little bit. Give me our money, man. This thing about ambiguity and administrative. No, sir. Ronnie Russell is right. We're a frontline community. The environmental impact alone warrants our money, even without the U.S. code. Go check. You want our money. We deserve it. It's ours. The U.S. law says so. And check. And 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 and, I'll, and I got a text message here from my, my schoolmate. You know, it's a poor representation in court. Not necessarily. I, I beg to differ because we actually won the case at the district court level. What really happened? And I had this conversation with. Uh, um, Judge Vern Hodge. He said we actually had congressmen on our side, right? And when they saw the dollar amount, 
the congressman them start to run. I think the name he tell me was Brewster Chapman. Let me see if I could pull up the, if I could Google that name now and see if Brewster Chapman name comes up as an um, elected official. Brewster, I think that's the name, Brewster Chapman. Let me see. Whatever the name was, it ain't look so. Let me see. Brewster Chapman, Interior Department. See, yeah, 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 yeah. Washington Post. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, this is the article here. Right, uh, let me see. Chauncey Brewster Chapman. He was working in the Interior Department. Mr. Chapman joined Interior in 1959 as an attorney advisor in the office of the solicitor. He specialized in law of public land management, particularly as it applied to forestry. Uh, he was named assistant solicitor for territories in 1967 and later became associate solicitor for territories, wildlife, and claims, which became general legal services. Yeah, remember uh, Judge Vaughn had said, Brewster Chapman, all of them, they were big supporters of, of ours. And then when the dollar figure came out in the newspaper, in the Washington Post, the article that I read, man started ducking. They kind of looked like they didn't want the government to be on the hook for that nine-figure deal. That's what we were dealing with. Yeah, this is an article here that speaks about him passing away. Well, he actually passed away in October of 1980. Maybe that's one of the reasons um, why we didn't, you know, weren't successful at the um, appellate court level. But according to what um, uh, Judge Vaughn has tell me, you know, he, uh, he, um, you know, a lot of them, and Bruce Chapman was, was one of our, I think, he, I think he was talking about congressman, if not him. But here's what he said, right? He was a member of the D.C. and American Samoan Bars because he was a lawyer. He practiced, he learned a degree uh, from Georgetown University Law School and was in private, private practice before entering government service, right? He said he was a member of the D.C. and American Samoan Bars and an associate member of the Hawaiian Bar and was counsel to the law firm of Mars and Coleman, St. Thomas, Virgin Islands. Okay. Yeah, man, so... I want to thank Miss York for coming in this morning and, and tapping into me, to my history. History bug, you know? Um, because truth is, I ain't like that one, I ain't like that one, if we go find some kind of avenue, check some kind of angle to revisit like they're saying St. Thomas daddy to revisit daddy and give us our money that belongs to us I'd be happy you know real we manage it correctly I know I know we're dealing with a 15 15 billion dollar recovery and all that stuff you check <clears throat> You know, but uh, you know something? You know the real reason why they had set up that internal revenue matching fund like, like they did, that U.S. code? It was because they were tired of us asking them for appropriations on an annual basis. So they said, let we set this up. They all started with Herbert Hoover, the, the, the one uh, president who gets beat up because of the, 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 the depression, the Great Depression, Right? Um, he came here. 
and that's when he labeled us, you know, the backhand compliment, an effective poorhouse, because we were making do with next to nothing. You know, and they created laws to allow for us to generate revenue. And Leon Hess come out of Jersey, came down here. Next thing you know, the refinery expanded left and right, had multiple extensions agreement, opened in 66, extended in 81, in 90, in 98. Capacity went up to close to 700,000 barrels per day. It's a lot of money, man. They owe us billions. And I'm just speaking the truth. Like they say up in the Bronx, the truth. T-R-O-O-F, the truth. And we want our money, okay? So Nina York, thank you very much for joining us today. Arhara Willax, we got APB out for you, okay? If you team with me, get on the bookcase. That's the name of the show, right? The bookcase, right, on Mondays uh, with um, <coughs> Chana Richards. And let's talk, you know, about brilliance that lives here uh, in the Virgin Islands. Thank you very much for listening today. I know I went the soapbox route for hour number two, but it is what it is. Sometimes it's like that, right? So uh, we'll be back tomorrow, okay? I think Bushy tomorrow or Thursday, I'm sure. Be good and be safe. Bye-bye. The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. I'm Aisha Roscoe, host of Weekend Edition Sunday, where we're not just interested in what's going on in the world, but why it's happening and how. Details are important. So are different points of view. We're dedicated to bringing you the stories behind the big events and the small ones, too. Join us every Sunday morning for Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition, Sundays at 8 a.m. on WTJX FM 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. News happens all week, all around the world. If you want to understand what this French election is all about... Four candidates are running unopposed, and three of them met reporters Thursday. Whatever the outcome of today's elections, the secessionist genie is out of the bottle. News, analysis, perspective, music, books, and sports, too. Saturday on Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition, Saturdays at 8 a.m. on WTJX-FM 93.1.